Well, today is Easter, but it is also April Fool's. How many of you have been pranked today? How many of you have pulled a prank? Okay. All right. So I love Easter. Uh, I love, I love Easter. I also love April Fool's. I love April Fool's pranks when they're played on other people. I don't really care for them when they're pra- played on me. Um, but sometimes they are. I saw that some of the tech companies are doing pranks today. Um, uh, Google has something with, um, uh, Google Maps where you can find Waldo. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, and Facebook has some prank where they're like selling your data to candidates and so forth. So, um, so, you know, fu- funny pranks like that. So, um, so, uh, we, we know about, um, we know about April Fools. We know sometimes we get pranked. Um, but, uh, today is both Easter and, um, April Fools. And that only happens once in a while. As you know, April Fools always occurs on April 1st. Uh, but Easter moves around. Easter is tied not to the, the regular solar calendar that we use, but to the lunar calendar. So Easter can occur anytime from the 22nd of March all the way to the 25th of April. So it's got 33-day span that it can fall in, and that means it happens about three times three times a century. Well, actually, it hasn't ha- happened that, um, as, it, as, the, as the math works out, it hasn't happened that recently. I was trying to think, had this occurred since I became a preacher? And the answer is no. And then I kept looking, and I found out, no, it has not occurred since I've been alive. The last time Easter fell on April Fool's was April 1st, uh, 1956. So 62 years ago was the last time Easter fell on April Fool's. But... It's going to come again. It's got to catch up because it's been kind of lagging. So it's going to catch up. It's going to happen again in the, on, in the year 2029. So you can get to thinking now about a good prank to play on somebody in 11 years. So you've got a warning. You can do your Easter um, pranks. If you don't know what, what I mean by an Easter April Fool's prank, I've got some ideas. You might have seen some of these online. So um, here's, a, here's a couple of uh, they came up. They all seem to have the same thing in common, which is substituting um, in place of candy, substituting vegetables. So, so, so here are the, the little mini eggs. Uh, they're actually being replaced with grapes, which I think is particularly cruel, but it's not as bad as this. <laughs> Putting broccoli florets in an Easter egg. That's just, that's just beyond the pale. So that's just too cruel. So those are examples of, um, Easter pranks. And um, and now you've got 11 years to get to thinking, can you top those? So Because um, it'll be happening again soon. So um, uh, that's, that's uh, Easter and April Fool's. But, you know, there's something about Easter. Easter has kind of the character of an April Fool's story. You know, if you think about an April Fool's story, they, they all begin with a scenario that, that creates expectations. And so in our story today, we heard how Mary comes running breathlessly to the disciples and she says, they've taken the Lord's body and I don't know where they put it. This is a classic April Fool's setup, right? It's like, I'm going to get you out to the tomb and then there's going to be people there and they're going to laugh at you because the body was there all along and, you, you know, jokes on you, right? It has the, it has the feel of an April Fool's story um, because this is kind of the, the way they all go. They have a scenario, uh, the body is missing, and then the expectation is you will react or maybe overreact to what happens. So that's that's typically the way it works. Um, and the Easter story is like that. The, the story of Mary and the story of, that we see in the other accounts of Jesus' resurrection is very similar. Um, and it's not just that she w- she could have been. We don't believe she was, but she could have been pranking those disciples. But in a sense, 
the Easter story could be pranking us. The Easter story could be an April Fool's prank on us. So what I want to do is I want to examine it from that perspective. If the Easter story is an April Fool's prank, or just a prank that happens to be on April Fool's, what is the scenario and what is the expectation? So what is the scenario that's in play and what is the scenario So uh, and the expectation? Well, uh, we see in the story the uh, scenario is that Jesus has risen from the grave. So uh, risen from the, the grave, re- risen from the dead, and thereby from the grave. So we see that in the story. It begins with this kind of uh, uh, opening where it's like almost a false lead, right? The, the body is missing, so the, so the disciples run out to see it, and then uh, they don't see Jesus. So at least in that sense, her scenario is correct. Um, I mean, the, the, the scenario she's, she's established uh, continues to operate. But then, after they leave, then we get kind of the second half of the story. And this is really aimed at us, right? The first part, if it, if it were a prank, that first part would have been aimed at the disciples. But now the rest of the story is aimed at us. Jesus has risen. Now, she doesn't recognize it at first, but he calls her by name, and she recognizes him and says, Teacher, Rabboni. So she says, Teacher, and... Uh, Jesus says to her, on the next page, Jesus says, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Jesus says, you don't have to hold on to me like I'm going to go away. I'm not going to go away for a while yet. Um, and in fact, I need you to let go because I want you to do an errand for me. I want you to go find the disciples and tell them that I am ascending, that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And before we go on, I just have to remark on that. Do you notice what he says? He doesn't say those rebellious, cowardly disciples. He doesn't say, go find Peter and that other disciple who I used to love and tell them that they're in a world of hurt because I've arisen and they chickened out when I needed them. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say my servants. He says, my brothers. Go and tell my brothers that I am ascending, and in 40 days he will. I am ascending to my father and your father. I am ascending to my God and your God. Jesus says this this burst of sunshine when we might have expected recriminations and blame. Jesus says, it's all behind us. They're my brothers. This is This is a great day. So that's the scenario that is being presented to us, that Jesus has been raised. And that's a lot to swallow. Before we can even talk about what is the expectation, you know, kind of what is this setting us up for, we have to kind of pause and say, does that even make sense? Can we just reject that out of hand? I mean, we're scientific people. We live in a modern age. Should we just reject that? Well, actually, I think not. I think that this is the most easily swallowed explanation is that Jesus did rise from the grave. And the reason for that is we have such great testimony to it. Compared to anything else in the first century, we have greater attestation to the uh, to the resurrection of Jesus than any other event in the ancient world. You know, they've got these buildings, you know, the Parthenon and things like that. Uh, they've got things written on the side. But we don't know if those things that are written on the side are true. 
because they're not attested anywhere else. It's like, you know, Maximus built this building or whatever. We have to trust that they're telling the truth because that's the only evidence we've got. There's all kinds of evidence in the scriptures and even a little bit out of the scriptures that points to the fact that Jesus rose on Easter. We see telltale signs in this story of uh, of a of a um, eyewitness account. Do you notice it says that um, it says that the the disciples went running out to the tomb, and this little detail says the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, outran Peter. Have you ever known a runner? You know what do they do? They tell you about their times, right? You know I did the five k and right. It's like Peter's slow. But the other disciple, the, the one, possibly John, we don't know if John is the other disciple or maybe John was talking to the other disciple, but there's this little detail. Let me tell you about my time. I made it out to the tomb in three minutes, 14 seconds. Peter dragged along at 5.04. It was pathetic, right? So this odd little detail has nothing to do with holiness. It has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with salvation or, or forgiveness of sin. It's just the kind of detail that an eyewitness would drop into the story. He mentions that when he got there ahead of Peter, he he doesn't go in. He looks inside, and then Peter goes inside, and finally he goes inside. And what does he see? He sees the the wrappings have been um, left. Now stop and think about that. If somebody had stolen the body, just visualize that. Somebody is stealing a body out of a tomb. Why would they leave the grave wrappings? You know, isn't that odd? You know, you're going to go toting this body through the graveyard. What a strange thing to leave the wrappings there. And one of them is not only there, but it's been folded up. What an odd little detail. Why would you put that in if you're making this up? It actually makes you stop and think, well, why would that happen? So there are these odd details. The very fact that Mary Mary, um, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it make Mary look a lot better if she recognized Jesus immediately and didn't have to be prodded by by Jesus, it's like, hey, hey, hello, hello, here I am. So there's these odd little details, but this is not the only account. There are uh, a number of other accounts. There's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have Easter accounts. They all have this sort of detail. There's a book by a man named James. He is not in any of the Bibles, uh, any of the biographies of Jesus. He was the brother of Jesus. Stop and think what it would take for your brother to convince you that he had been raised from the dead. But he did. He was not a believer until after the resurrection. And then he became a believer. So there's there's textual evidence in the Bible that points to the resurrection of Jesus, but there's also circumstantial evidence. Because remember, the disciples disappeared. They, they headed for the tall grass on uh, Thursday night when the crowd came to arrest Jesus. They went into hiding. But seven weeks later, they're in the temple... They're telling people about Jesus. They are boldly proclaiming the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They did it so much and so frequently that they became an irritant. So they instituted special prosecutors. And one of the special prosecutors was a man named Paul who went all around the Judean world in Galilee and Judea. And he was finding people who were telling this story and he was having them arrested and sometimes put to death. But then Paul changes sides. Paul says, I have encountered the risen Lord myself. And he doesn't stop with just churches in the Judean world. Paul goes all around the Mediterranean world. He plants churches all over the Mediterranean world. And in fact, he goes to a Greek city named 
Corinth, and he plants a church there about the year 50. And then a few years later, he's moved on to a different place, and he writes them a letter and reminds them of what he taught them earlier. He says in, in his letter to the Corinthians, um, I think we've got a quote. He says um, that it's coming. He, he says, uh, sorry, next one, that's Acts 2. So he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. He says, I wasn't myself an eyewitness, but people who were told me this, and I passed it on to you a couple of years ago. And then he says this. He says, he was seen, Jesus, the risen Jesus was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. He says, it's been 20, 25 years, tops, a maximum of 26 years since the resurrection. Because we can date, we can date his letter that, that accurately. 26 years. Think what was going on 26 years ago. And he says, there's over 500 people who saw the risen Lord Jesus. And you can talk to them. Most of them are still around. Go to Judea. Ask around. People will tell you, I was there. I saw it myself. So there's circumstantial evidence to go along the biblical evidence. So in my mind, the, the resurrection of Jesus, strange though it is, is the simplest explanation for what happened. But that's only the scenario. The question is, okay, what is the prank? What is the expectation? What are we supposed to do with that? Now, a lot of churches will tell you that what you're supposed to do with that is believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and then you can go to heaven when you die. And if that's an April Fool's joke, isn't it a bad one? I mean, the whole point of the April Fool's joke is you get to laugh at the person, right? But this joke is sprung when the person dies. No one's around to, if, 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 if this is all made up, who's around to laugh at them? No one, no one can laugh at the dead because they're gone. It's a terrible April Fool's joke. See, I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. And I think the clue for that is what Mary says to him in the garden. She says, Rabboni. She says, teacher. See, Jesus was a teacher. And Jesus taught things to his disciples. What did he teach them? He taught them the world is a mess. I know, duh, right? The world is a mess. He taught them the reason the world is a mess is because we are messes. We are each of us messes. And I don't mean messes in the sense of we don't, we don't attain the standard that God has set, the standard of perfection. We all know we're not perfect. But I mean we don't even attain our own standards. We don't achieve the things that we hope to do ourselves. We know the ways that our life has sometimes been out of control, that we have done things with money and with sex and with substances to our detriment and to the detriment of the people around us. And that seems to be the common state of humankind. That we do things that we know we shouldn't do. We, we know that there's, there's, there's a fork in the road in front of me and if I say this, the relationship will begin to heal and if I say that, it'll get worse and I just plunge right down that path. Right? If I go into that building, I know things are going to get worse and I do it anyway. And the name for that in John's biography of Jesus is the darkness. Darkness is this metaphysical power that governs us. It's why we do those things we know we shouldn't do. And he says, but there's good news. God has not abandoned the world. There is darkness. The world seems overcome by darkness, but it is not permanent. The light of God is coming into the world. He says that. Jesus says that. 
The light is coming into the world. And because of that, we don't have to be governed by the darkness. So that's the setup. That's, But it's also nothing unique. That's what every Jewish teacher would have said. That's what every Jewish rabbi would have said. What was different about Jesus is he said that the the power of God, the kingdom of God coming into the world would be not on a grand scale. It wouldn't happen all at one time. It would happen one by one. That the kingdom of God would appear in each of us and remake us individually. That's what Jesus taught. Jesus said it this way. He said that the kingdom of God is like yeast hidden in a batch of dough. We heard that quote earlier. He says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. If you think about how yeast works, you can't see it. You can't see it. The dough dough with, with yeast and dough without yeast looks the same. But if you look at it half an hour later or an hour later, you can see the effect it has. Jesus said the kingdom of God, as it works in each of us, is like that. It's invisible. We can't see it, but it has an effect. And he says, because the kingdom of God is at work in us, we can overcome darkness. That because Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated the power of darkness, and all it has left is propaganda. So that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus had taught, and that's what Mary remembered when she said Rabbani. So, what is the expectation? The expectation is believe it. The expectation is try it out. See if it's true. Because that's what Christians are called to do. The, the, the goal of a Christian is not to be good so that God will love us and take us to heaven when we die. The goal of a Christian is to have the courage to lean into what Jesus says has already happened, to believe that God has always loved us and in Christ has freed us from the dominion of darkness. So think about that area. When I mentioned darkness, when I talked about the way darkness has overcome us, Think to yourself, what would it look like if it had lost its power? What would my life be like the next time darkness tells me I have to do something that I know is wrong? And then act the other way. And see whether or not the kingdom of God that was unleashed on Easter is operating. What's the worst thing that can happen? Are a bunch of people going to say, ha ha, April fools, you're still (laughs) under the power of darkness. Okay. How is that any worse than being under the power of darkness? But what if it's true? What if Jesus has freed us from the dominion of darkness and our lives can be like his, free from the power of sin and death and darkness? It's a lot to swallow. It starts It starts with something very hard to swallow, the idea that somebody could rise from the dead. But that may not even be as hard as the thought that we could actually have new life, that we could be free from the power that has governed that area. You know, that area that we think about, that our mind goes straight to. The thought that we could be freed from that, that may be even harder to believe than the idea that Jesus rose. And so Jesus gave us something. You know, we talk about muscle memory. You know, muscle memory is different from head memory, right? I may know where the keys are in my typewriter, but 
Now my hands know where they are. Uh, my, my son, he can do, he can do texting with his thumbs because his thumbs know where the keys are. Jesus gave us a sacrament, a kind of muscle memory to help us remember what he has done. And so we're going to celebrate that sacrament in a few minutes. Um, it's called communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And it is something that Jesus established so that we could remember what it is he's doing in our lives on a daily basis. And you are welcome to attend if you have even the faintest belief that what Jesus accomplished is true. So I invite you to prepare your hearts for the meal that will be offered from this table behind me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in in him, in his death and resurrection, we have been freed from the power of darkness and ushered into the kingdom of light. Lord, it is hard for us to see, so we thank you that Jesus gave us this sacrament to remind us, to give us muscle memory of the of the reality of the new life we have, this hidden kingdom, the kingdom that is like yeast hidden in yeast, uh, yeast hidden in dough, operating in us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to lean into the truth that he has freed us from darkness. We pray it all in his name. Amen.